So whether you're here, whether you're at home, as we start today, I got to show you something. So I don't know if you, the camera can catch it. And if not, I'll do my best here. But my daughters bought me socks with their faces on it. And so I'm, I'm wearing them today. They have the, so there's my, look at that. You know, only a parent receives gifts when their kids put faces on stuff. And it's like, great, I don't see you enough. No, I'm kidding. I kid, I kid. It's beautiful. I love it. Having them under my feet. I love it. It's great. Okay. Some of you caught that. Some of you didn't. That's totally fine. I want you to just use your imagination with me, if you will. I want you to picture a really big rock face. Really big. Not like just like a little hop skip, but sizable. And your assignment is to climb it, to reach the summit, to go from where you are, to be somewhere different, to see life from a different perspective. And success, or really survival, depends on two things. Number one, of course, how you climb. That matters. Uh, number two, though, is if you fall, who are you tethered to? In other words, do you trust who's holding your rope? Many people today are trying to discern who is trustworthy to hold their rope. And society is giving lots of different options for us to tether ourselves to things. And if you fully trust the one holding your rope, you know what you're going to do. You're going to confidently climb. You're going to take some risks because you know that even should you err and even if you fall, it won't mean, it's not fatal, that, that it will... It, There'll be hindrances to your climb, but it's not fatal. And if you find yourself holding somebody else's rope, you hold their rope. You know, if everyone's climbing around, your job is not to fix and protect everyone and everything, but to keep your eyes on the one who's climbing, to be there for them. And what's powerful for me when I think about an image or an illustration like that is togetherness, assignment, and then there's this word of agency. Just an observation. Much of what we scroll on socials, or much of what we see on perhaps cable news, 24-7 news, whatever news you watch, center, right, left, doesn't matter. Whatever you watch. The truth is that while all of the problems in the world need to be solved, much of what we scroll and read and consume every day and sometimes just watch every day is beyond the scope of our individual agency. And most people who care for others know this to be true, that when your awareness outpaces your agency, what you're left with is anxiety. Because you know things aren't the way they should be. But yet you're limited in scope in terms of what you can do to make a difference. And in saying this, I am not advocating any of us evacuate, retreat, or back out of areas where God has fully pressed us. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is part of these six weeks has been this undertone that anxiety is reduced when we right-size the assignment and when we learn to abide in God's presence, that you don't have to save everyone. You just have to keep your eyes on someone. That you yourself aren't responsible for everything. 
but you worship the one who is. And within the problem of what is and the climb of your life, there is a Jesus-sized difference that God is asking you to make that is specific and unique to you. And that there are no heroes in the body of Christ except for one, and his name is Jesus. The rest of us are a part of the body, interdependent upon one another, both for our climb and if we fall. Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 to 4 was the message last week. Let me read it and we'll continue. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hathoroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal's Ephron, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. You know, growing up, I'd often hear Pastor Barry say these words. Some of you struggle with this. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Really just means that God will let Pharaoh do what, what Pharaoh is going to do. And this is the expression that really helped me growing up, and I hope it helps you. It is the same sun that hardens clay is the same sun that melts wax. The issue isn't the source of the sun. Well, the issue isn't the sun, excuse me. It's the source upon which it shines. The same heart that can be melted by the presence of God is the same heart that can be hardened by the thought of God. It's not God. It is the source upon which it shines. And this we see here in the story. One who is Moses is tender to be led by God and one who is Pharaoh is not. And so his heart is hardened. But it says that this, God's going to allow this not only so that the children of Israel may know that the Lord, that Yahweh is God, so that the Egyptians shall also know that I am the Lord. That Pharaoh is not Lord. There is one that is greater than he. And this is so they did. Now, if we continue to read Exodus chapter 14, facing the sea, which was the obstacle and the problem. You can watch that from last week. God instructs Moses to do something. God gives Moses agency in this problem. This is what he asks him to do. He says, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. Now, how many of you know lifting up a stick and stretching out your hand doesn't part seas? <laughs> Don't believe me? Go to the Gatnos, find a stick and stretch out your and you'll see. But doing what God has asked you to do, there is supernatural supply to insufficient means. It's not the stick and the hand as much as it is faith in doing and being obedient to what God has asked him to do. But Moses now has agency. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. That the people of Israel, everyone say the people of Israel. Okay, this is the word of the Lord in this time, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. If you know the story, they all go through on dry ground. This was a promise given to the children of Israel. This was not a promise given to Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh assumes that what was happening for them was absolutely within him. His arrogance leads to his demise. And so as Pharaoh leads his army, the waters enclose upon them and we see the justice of God in this moment, the holiness of God. Now fast forward from this moment. Moses has led them through the sea. They've discovered, ah, the problem isn't just Pharaoh. It's actually in us. What should have been a shorter journey has been a longer journey. They've been wandering now for 40 years in the desert 
And they are now at the precipice of stepping into the promised land. But Moses is going to die. And he's going to die never stepping into the land that God promised. But Moses has led the children of Israel out of Egypt. He's been given the law. He's given it to them so that they know how to treat one another, how they can worship God, you know, through, you know, through the law, through Torah, all of those things. But due to his disobedience, he isn't permitted to enter the promised land because God said that I want you to speak to a rock, but Moses then strikes the rock. God is still faithful to his word and to fulfill the promise but disobedience matters to God. Has anyone here ever heard the expression that sounds a little bit like this? It doesn't really matter how you get there as long as you get there. I want you to know that, okay, I understand that in some levels, but to God, it's not just how you get there. It's not just that you get there that matters. Is that obedience along the way also matters. And here's why. I am so grateful that God can redeem, aren't you? Aren't you glad that we are stories of redemption? But my acts of disobedience don't only affect my life, they affect other people's lives. Your acts of disobedience not only affect your life, they affect other people's lives, some in small ways and others in terribly significant ways. It isn't just that we get through the pandemic, church. How we get through this matters too. It matters. So obedience matters. Destination matters. How we disagree matters. It matters. Not that we disagree. Not that we have different perspectives. How we do this as followers of Jesus, as brothers and sisters, matters. And so Moses, due to his disobedience, isn't going to enter into the promised land. But sometimes the most powerful thing that God does in and through your life isn't a what, it's a who. And we see it here that Joshua has mentored under Moses. It's not just where Moses has led them from, it's also who God has been rose up underneath of, uh, of Moses, and here's Joshua. And Joshua has learned both what to do and what not to do. Joshua is no better than Moses. Please don't hear me in any which way. They are both sinful, fallen men who God is using their lives. Okay, both of their lives. Steps from the promised land, the children of Israel find themselves facing a similar or a familiar obstacle. This morning, you're going to notice that I'm not going to get all amped up in preaching. I'm just sharing today my heart calmly. Watching Moses, Joshua sees how important obedience is to God. If you're a young leader, or any leader at all, or any person at all, can I say this? Sometimes God loves you so much that he'll put you under a leader that, man, oh man, you just are so inspired by them and they call the best out of you. There's no such thing as a perfect leader. Stop trying to find one of them. They don't exist. But find one that you can trust. They can pull stuff out of you. And there are other seasons in your life that God will put you under a leader who you're going to learn what not to do under them. I worked at a video store one time. I'm not going to tell you which one because I don't want you to piece together who the leader was. All I'm saying is what I learned there is what not to do with any level of authority. It was a terrible work environment, but it was a powerful life lesson. You know what I'm saying? 
Sometimes you don't know the season that God's putting you through that you're praying to get out of, but it's actually the season that he's using to grow your character for another assignment that is upcoming. Don't pray sometimes for the very thing that God has worked hard to put you in, okay? Exactly. How many of you know that mentoring puts things in our lives, but life lessons pull things out of us? Like mentoring, good mentoring puts stuff in, but life lessons, the things that we do, how we respond, how we react, that shows us like, ah, I didn't know that was in there. I didn't know that was still in there. It's still in there. Pulls it out of us. And when those things collide, sometimes God once again leads us into a place where only he can move. And so in our story now, it's no longer Moses, it's Joshua. I'm going to interchange them both in a moment, but now, Joshua is leading the children of Israel. And in front of them is another body of water. No, not the same sea they've already come through. That's in the rearview mirror. But there's another body of water called the Jordan River that is now in front of them. And here's all I know. Here's one thing I should say that I do know. Is when you are about to step into a new season, you can expect to face an old problem. There's never one moment, one minute, one month, one week, one year, or one day of your life where the enemy is being kind towards you. Some of you need to understand that. He may be quiet in a season, but his disposition towards you is always hate. His disposition towards you is always contempt and disgust. His disposition towards you is to use you for his purposes, not to, for any redemptive purpose of your own. And sometimes when you're about to step into a new season, you're going to find yourself facing an old problem. This is true of individuals. This can be true of relationships. This can be true of families. This can be true of churches. This can be true of cities. This can be true of neighborhoods. This can be true of nations. You see it sometimes when nations are about to break through. An old stronghold rears its head once again. Something that we thought was in the past surfaces again. And here they are, facing this body of water called the Jordan River, and God has led them there to get to the other side where the promised land is. Now they have to go through another body of water. So here's the question. How easy would it have been for Joshua to go, oh, okay, I heard this through an oral story, so I know what to do here. I know exactly what to do. Somebody find me a stick. I'm going to get a stick and I'm going to stretch it out over the water, and I'm going to stretch out my hand, because that's what you do when you find yourself at a body of water that you can't cross. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand, and it's going to split, and we're going to walk through. No, that's not what he needs to do in this season and in this moment. What he needs to do is not to learn what Moses did. What he needs to learn how to do is to hear how Moses heard. And this is different. You don't need to figure out what I'm doing. You and I need to figure out how do you hear from the Lord so you get clarity to the best degree that you know how in order to be obedient to the assignment that God has entrusted you with. You don't need to figure out what someone's doing be careful that you don't become a copy and paste Christian because it's not the exterior action. It is the interior surrender of the heart that matters more oftentimes than the simply things that we can see. Here's what I know. 
If you work at this location, this organization that I'm about to say, please take no offense by what I'm about to say. I hate all grocery shopping. But I hate Costco the most. Now, if you work there, I'm grateful they are. They're a wonderful provider of an organization. But I hate everything about Costco. Everything. Everything? Everything about Costco. I hate the fact that I have to spend money before I can even spend money in Costco. I can't spend money unless I first spend money. You can't come in here unless you're a member. I don't like that. But I have a family of six, so I need to get things in bulk. So every single Friday, Lori and I go to Costco. It's our date night. I know. What a romantic guy am I. We do it together. Do you really hate Costco? I really, really hate Costco. I hate everything about it. Why? 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 Why can I not have a bag at Costco? Well, you can pick up one of the boxes lying around. I don't want one of the boxes lying on the floor. Just put the grapes in my pocket as I go out. That's a, thanks. I appreciate that. I hate everything about it. I hate the fact that I have to get my bananas where they have tires. I don't like it. I don't like anything about, I don't like anything about Costco. Have you ever seen the size of the toilet paper? That you, you could, I, I'm grateful when it finally gets home. But I feel like Fred Flintstone when they put the steak on his car and it all tips over, if you know what I'm talking about. Like, it's just insane. But anyways, when I'm in Costco, though, here's the revelation. Here's the prayer that I pray every single time, every single time that I'm in Costco. Lord, help us fill this cart to overflowing so that I don't have to come back here for the longest time possible. And sometimes Jesus hears my prayers. And when he does, I am so very grateful because there are some times where Lori on a Friday says, we don't need to go to Costco today. And I say, hallelujah, amen. <laughs> Lori, up to half of my kingdom, what do you want? Ask now and I will give you anything you want. But walking through Costco, here's what I also recognize. I actually want a Costco relationship with God. I do. I want God to give me everything in bulk so that I don't have to come back for a few weeks. But here's what Jesus said. He said, I actually need to go to God every day for him to give me my daily bread. My daily bread. I don't want my daily bread. I want the Costco-sized bread, God. That's what I want. But what Jesus wants from me is relationship. He wants to know why. Because he wants to take off of my shoulders and your shoulders burdens that we put on them that are too large to carry. And that can only happen day by day. Trust the right person and you can hold on to the promise. Trust the wrong person. What does it matter what they promise? Metaphorically speaking, as Joshua is climbing, he is learning to trust who has his rope. And who holds his rope makes all the difference. Joshua chapter 1, verses 2 to 3 says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. There is a timing in leadership that's important here. Arise, go over this Jordan, and you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place, everyone say every place. Now, this is a promise for Joshua, not for us, but it was for him. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. And then it says this, which is so beautiful, just as I promised to Moses. 
we as a culture can learn something from the story that we are rooting and abiding in here. And here's what I love about the scriptures. The scriptures tell you the whole story and nothing but the story and nothing but the full story. So we look at the life of Moses and we can see his success. We can see when he trusts the Lord. We can see how courageous he is. We can see when he stammers and he's got an insecurity in his life. We can see here when he trusts the Lord, how he's led by the Lord. We can see his disobedience and the consequence to it. We don't gloss over his life. We can see the fullness of his life, his humanity, where he trusted the Lord. But here's what's beautiful in the scriptures. We read about the God who of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. In this story, he's the God of Moses, and he's the God of Joshua. Why am I saying that? Because it's significant for me, and it's significant for you to embrace and to understand that, yes, Moses was disobedient, so he wasn't able to enter into the promised land. And here comes Joshua, but where Joshua takes up leadership is not in Egypt. It's not where they once were. They are out of Egypt. They are through the Red Sea. They are on the other side. Moses' life is not defined by the one act of disobedience. It's meant to be seen in the totality of the fullness of his life. If you get your eyes on any leader, they will disappoint you in a season. But again, it may not just be this chapter. It's looking at the sum total. So generationally, we are meant to walk this together, learn from one another, celebrate where we get it right, be honest about where we get it wrong, and keep walking one with another. We're not called to cancel one another. We're called to run alongside one another to get ultimately to where God desires us to get to. And to do this, we need all generations, not just one. We see it in the scriptures here. Joshua has never led where God is asking him to step. And although this is a brand new assignment, you know what is true? It isn't brand new agency. Because a number of years ago, God gave a word to a leader named Moses. And then a leader named Moses selected 12 individuals to go spy out the land like 40 years earlier. And one of them happened to be Joshua and his friend Caleb. And way back then, when Joshua had no idea that he would be here now leading the children of Israel, God knew. And though Moses, I'm sorry, though Joshua has never been here, he's been here before. He's never been physically here leading with all the weight and all of these things. He's never been here, but he's been at a place before where he has learned to trust God's word over his peers. He's faced this test before. God, with less weight, has already been testing and growing and defining and refining and setting up his life. Him and his friend Caleb have been in this place before. Again, they were part of a group of 12 years earlier sent out to spy out this land. And Joshua, in that moment, had to learn, do I trust what I see with my eyes, which is impossible? Or do I trust just what my friends are saying about what is possible? Or do I trust the word of the Lord in this season and lead with courage and clarity, even though I'm actually terrified and afraid? In other words, let me boil it down. Joshua has learned who's got his rope, and it ain't his friends. Joshua's learned that I can't look to a leader to supply all my needs, so to speak. Only God can. Not that he doesn't have need of one another. I'm not saying that but it's to right size what it is that we're doing. In an earlier season of your life, perhaps like Joshua, 
Perhaps what you went through was God teaching you not to trust the wrong people, but to trust him. After a failure, perhaps even God gently showed you how to trust and try again. While Joshua may never have been here before, he knows God is faithful to keep his promises. And so he knows his agency and his assignment is to listen, to obey. Moses, all by himself, lifts up his staff and stretches out his hand. But God instructs Joshua differently. Let me say it again. What each generation needs to teach the other generation is the faithfulness of God, the promises of God, the goodness of God, the nature of God, the character of God, and the heart of the gospel. We need to to anchor in the who, not the what. Church, the what can change, the who, it never changes. There may be a different what that the the generation coming up, they may do church differently. They may do some things differently. They may engage things differently. It may look different and sound different. That's fine. As long as the who remains changed, unchangeable, unfixed, like unfixable. As long as it's Jesus. Bloodstained cross, empty tomb, poured out a Holy Spirit. Let's go together. Because that's what we see here. Joshua chapter 3, verse 11 to 13 says, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. That represented God's presence. Now therefore, ooh, catch this. Moses by himself. But God says to Joshua, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel. I think there's just something significant in that because once again, when Joshua was a teenager sent out to the land, that's all that happened. Take 12 men. I know this. There's a beautiful intimacy to how God is leading Joshua, different from Moses. Take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, the kabod of God, the glory of God, the weightiness of God, when that hits the Jordan and the, and the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. Everyone say cut off. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So in other words here, it's all language describing, here's your agency. For Moses, stretch out your hand, split, walk through, not here, here. Let my presence go through. Do this in community. Do this with every leader in every single tribe. Don't do it alone. We've learned from that. Now we're going to do it in community. The waters aren't going to split. They're going to stop up here. Once again, it's not what God's going to do. It's the author of the story. It's who God is, and that he's going to be faithful to do what God alone can do. God is always kind and good towards us. It's important to find the promise, yes. It's important to find the promise. What is God asking you to do? What's, what are you holding on to? It is vital to listen and to obey to what God is asking us to do. That's vital. That's important. But like Moses prayed, what good is it to find a promise to listen to obey if God doesn't go with us? We're not called to follow promises. We're called to get to know the person who declared the promises in the first place. And if you get to know the person, you know what you'll find? Once again, he's trustworthy. He's true. He's good. He's holy. He never, ever lies. 
and he is unlike the enemy in every which way, which is at your best day, he is with you, and on your worst day, he is still beside you. You see, before we arrive at Joshua chapter 3, we have to first read Joshua chapter 1, and I read it out of order on purpose. Least you think Joshua was this courageous, perfect leader. He wasn't. Listen to how the Lord speaks to him. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous. Okay, so now God's told them to be strong and courageous twice. Being careful to do according to all that the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you, intergenerational God. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Have I not commanded you, once again, be strong and courageous? Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Paraphrased. Climb, Joshua. And trust that I got your rope. I asked you to picture a massive rock face with you scaling up it. And I asked you a question. If you fall, who do you trust to be holding your rope? Let me amend it. Because there's no if in that question. In life, everybody falls. So when you fall, who do you trust to be holding your rope? Hebrews 13, verses 5 to 6 reads this. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Find the person. Trust the promise. Make your next step an obedient step. In the mess that is life, mine or yours, there's one thing that I have read in every story in this book. And there's one thing I have found to be true in my own life. The enemy is always present in the pleasure of sin. But he is always absent when the pain shows up. Not God. God is present in the beginning in Genesis 1. And after the serpent deceives humanity in Genesis chapter 3, when the enemy is nowhere to be found, you know who shows up? God does. There's a man in the Bible named Samson. And everyone is around until they're not. But when he's blinded and alone, guess who's with him? God is with him. The prodigal has a lot of friends while he has a lot of money. But when he has no money, guess who's there for him? His father representing God in heaven. Keep reading Joshua if you want. You know what you're going to discover. In the next chapter, after they get through the Jordan River, you're going to find that God uses the most unlikely hero that you could possibly think of, a prostitute named Rahab who nobody saw significance in, but God did. Jesus alone made this promise that he'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm asking you to trust the person. And if you trust the person, you know what you'll discover? His promise is.
is anchored and true. In other words, will you trust him to hold your rope? Together, let's stand. For the very first time, I'm not asking if you're churched or religious. That means nothing. I'm asking, will you live and follow in the way of Jesus? Which could start with a decision, yes. But the goal isn't that I prayed a prayer on this day. That's a beautiful start. But it's that I'm continually walking in the way of Jesus. So I'd be honored to pray and to lead all of us, whether we're here or at home, in prayer. Together, let's say, dear Jesus, here's my rope. Where you lead, I will follow. Amen. Now, you're standing because we got a great song to close as Pastor Rhonda leads us in a brand new song, which is our prayer this whole year. Lord, build your house, or as we're now going to sing, build your church.